0: So tonight, I want to talk about um, investigating the sense of self, the idea of self, that anatta thing. And as um, hopefully you know by now, or believe, as far as we can tell, all the Buddha's teachings, he taught uh, not as philosophical concept, as uh, some kind of doctrines that we should uh, discuss and try and understand and add to our collection of the way we understand the universe and have arguments with each other about. But everything he taught was to directly point our attention, our experience, to accurate recognition of things as they are. And that recognition, over and over, is what frees our mind, our heart from confusion and from clinging, uh, that is, from suffering. And so too with the teachings on, on anatta, so called not self. But, you know, we think so much in philosophical, conceptual terms, and while it's actually a very fascinating thing to explore in our practice and not some huge, big, you know, monolithic, horrible thing that we somehow have to get through or get crazy thinking about. It's just something really fascinating to explore. But it's really um, often just even mentioning anatta or not self, you know, and everyone kind of like tightens up or goes into whatever your reaction is. And this was true in the Buddhist time too. You know, there was a lot of Uh, As I think someone mentioned at that time, lots of um, spiritual seekers of different philosophies, different groups wandering around India, just like the the Buddha and his nuns and monks were wandering around India. And there's lots of different um, suttas where one or the other is coming and talking to the Buddha, where they're having these dialogues. And at the time, there were, um, I don't want to go into it too much, but there were two kind of sort of opposite views. One is eternalism, you know, that I am a self and it will last after death, and the other is annihilationism, that everything's gone, you know, when you die, there's nothing. But there were views and opinions. And people would come to him, and this is what we do too, you know, we try and think about it, or all these questions come up, but if there's, what happens to myself when I realize no self, you know, what happens to the self that's here now? Or when, when, if there's no self, then who's, you know, eating the oatmeal? If there's no self, who's making these decisions? Who's sitting here? Who decided, you know, on and on? You know very well. So we either can, some of us too, can make ourselves a little bit crazy thinking about it a lot and getting all worked up. If there's no self, who's sitting here stressing out, trying to figure out? What does this mean about no self? And the more you think like that, the stronger what gets. Sense of me, right? Got to figure it's impossible. Or the other thing that a lot of times may, I mean, I'm I'm making broad strokes here. Hopefully, this is meant to be a practical talk. But right now, I'm making broad strokes. The other thing that uh, I see in myself or in talking to people is kind of a, putting the conceptual stuff on the side, or trying to and say, okay, I can't figure it out. So I have this self, and I just have to keep practicing until finally I get rid of it. And you're waiting for that big, mind-blowing experience that blows the self away, right? And you're finally realized anatta, and you're finally free forever from this sense of self. Do you get how both of those are coming from? a sense of self that's got to change, and then it's gone, and then we'll, we will be free. I will be so happy when I no longer have a sense of self. But in the meantime, I've got to suffer and dig, and I can't do it right, and yada, yada, you know what I mean. It's not like that. It's not like that at all. It's more about, first we can just explore. It's fascinating, but on the conceptual level, Can we be willing to just open into not knowing? Just not knowing. That space, that alive, curious space that doesn't have to land on any definition, on any experience for more than a second. I want to read you one of the, just a little short one, of one of the wanderers who came to the Buddha, Vachagotta, who kind of shows up a lot. He never really quite, quite gets it. He wanders off. So the wanderer Vachagata approached the Buddha and said, How is it, Master Gotama? Is there a self? And so this isn't like the first time he ever heard the Buddha's teachings. And the Blessed One was silent. Then Master Gotama, Is there no self? A second time, the Blessed One was silent. So then the wanderer Vachagata rose from his seat and departed. because He didn't get much. And then Ananda, after that, said, well, how come you didn't say anything? You know, Why didn't you answer one way or the other? And so this is just kind of subtle the subtlety of the Buddha. He said, if Ananda, when I was asked by Vachagata, is there a self, if I had answered, there is a self, that would have been taking the side of all those Brahmins who are eternalists. Because that language, there is a self, fed into that view. If, on the other hand, when he said, is there no self, I had answered, there is no self, that would have been taking the side of all the ones who are annihilationists. So there's like no way he could answer without feeding into the current concepts. Then he keeps going, that's not all. If, Ananda, when I was asked by Vachagotta, is there a self, I had answered, there is a self, would this have been consistent on my part with the arising of the knowledge that all phenomena is not self? So here he's saying, All phenomena is not self. And Ananda says, No, venerable sir. And if when I was asked by him, Is there no self? I had answered, There is no self. The wanderer Vachagata, already confused, would have fallen into even greater confusion, thinking, It seems that the self I formerly had does not exist now. Can kind of relate to, maybe not, maybe it's only me, but I can kind of relate to some of them. And the subtlety of the Buddha, he's not interested in propagating some doctrine that this is how it is. If saying this is no, there's not self, or all phenomena is not self, is going to, in the listener's mind, fuel a view, or get him more confused, he doesn't say it. It's really fascinating. I love that because it really points to what he's teaching in this whole thing. I want to talk talking about it tonight is to explore, just to explore when we notice the experience, sense of self, or a little bit broader Sakaya Ditti personality view, which is talked about a lot. Can we, rather than... Um, jump onto a, a view we have, whatever it is, it is, it isn't, it should go, it shouldn't go, whatever. But just surrender into not knowing, but with awareness, with interest, and actually just explore the sense of self, the arising of Sakaya Ditti, view of personality, is simply another sankhara, another mental formation arising in a moment, it lasts a little bit, it passes. That's all. I think Guy read in, uh, maybe in his talk on the aggregates, anyway, one line from one of the suttas where the Buddha is saying that consciousness is like a magic show. <coughs> and I think uh, to talk about the sense of self or Sakaya Ditti personality view, that's a really good way to think about it. It's like a magic show. So, you know, and there's, there's a, a lovely little pamphlet from, oh God, many years ago from the from the Buddhist Publication Society by Bhikkhu Nyanananda called The Magic of the Mind. And he's using that, he's using this metaphor about how it's a magic show. I remember years ago, I read that like in the very beginning of my practice when I didn't know anybody who practiced. And I just would get these books from the Buddhist Publication Society in Sri Lanka. Kind of like saved my life. Kept me from thinking I was really nuts. Um, Anyway. Just using this image, and it's a great image for the sense of personality view or the sense of self. So you know, if there's a magic show and someone's in town and they're, they're doing all this magic, and when we just see the uh, externals, we know somehow there's a trick, but we don't see it. So, wow, that's great. That's amazing. But when you see behind how the trick is done, all the magic falls apart, doesn't it? So, well, let's just... Mundane, obvious, you can see. I don't know how they do it, but how he pulls the rabbit out of the hat or whatever. You know, it's okay. It loses its fascination. You can see how it's done. It's exactly like that with Sakaya Ditti, with our sense of self. It seems so real, so solid, so taken for granted, so impenetrable, so inescapable because it's unexamined. This is from Ramana Maharshi. The idea of self is like a ghost caused by the play of shadows. Look closely and the ghost vanishes. It was never there. So also with the self or ego, he's using that word. So long as one does not look closely at it, it continues to give trouble. But when one looks for it, it is not found to exist in any way a separate existence. So just tonight, just a few aspects, because this could, there's like so much one could say, but a few ways of just how we use our practice, and as all stuff we've talked about already, to to look behind that curtain of the magic show. Not just once, ten million times, okay. But to really look behind the curtain, not just stop, oh, yeah, sense of self again. (gasps) When am I ever going to get rid of this? You know, we stop looking right there. So, Sakaya Ditti, translated as personality view, and in the formal uh, way of talking about the Theravada um, stages of awakening. It's said that belief in sakaya, sakaya Ditti, belief in personality view, is said to be seen through at the first level of awakening, stream enterer. The belief in personality view, it doesn't mean it doesn't arise anymore. It doesn't mean sense of self doesn't arise anymore. But some of the solidity, some of the magic goes out when we remember to look. Sayada Ulakana, a Burmese teacher in the Mahasi tradition with, uh, whom I've taught a few times in Upper Burma, he gave a description of Sakaya Ditti that I liked a lot. He defined Sakaya as the stream of sixth sense door experiences, the stream of Nama Rupa, Right, what we've talked about a lot, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, cognizing with the mind, as we've said, Just six things happening, over and over and over and over and over, right? Cognizing with the mind encompasses a lot. But that's all, right? Just different things happening. And so Sakaya is that. And and when it's just going along, when people come in and say, well, I just had such a a great uh, open awareness sitting things just coming and going, and it was so nice. Why was it so nice? Because stuff was just coming and going. Just the Sakaiya going along. What makes Sakaya ditti, personality view, and this we can notice also, is like some seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, thinking, 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 ugh. Something comes, and it's as if that, that internal in the mind hand of grasping comes up and goes, I are mine. You know, a thought, a perception, a sound, an unpleasant or pleasant. Uh, feeling tone. We may not notice what's being grasped, but it's as if everything's coming and going and suddenly, oh, this one is me or mine. Not telegraphed so clearly as that, but it just starts to feel glitched up. And then the whole story of me is created in like a second, which I'll describe in a minute, although I'm sure you're quite aware of it. So really seeing over and over some aspect, some phenomena that's just coming and going is mistakenly viewed as me or mine. And that leads, just like that, to a whole series of thoughts and associations and further graspings and birth of sense of self, 10 million times a day. But without exploring it, it seems like it's just always here. It's like this story I'm sure you're quite familiar with a story of two Zen monks who are an an older monk and a younger one, and they're walking together, and they come to quite a stream that's really quite rapid water, and there's a young woman there trying to get across and can't get across, right? So the older monk picks her up, they all walk across the stream, he puts her down, and they walk on. Nothing is said. And after quite some time, The younger monk, who has apparently been seething this whole time but hasn't said anything, turns to the older monk and says, what are you doing? You broke your sila. You broke your precepts. You know you're not allowed to touch a woman. You've just picked her up. What, you know, and then on and on. And the older monk says, I put her down at the stream. It seems you've been carrying her this whole time. That's a good example of Sakaya Ditti. you know. He was carrying that perception and the thought about what should be and a sense of self-righteousness and aversion. You can see how it just goes and goes in the sense of him and what's right and the other guy and what's wrong. So strong, so real. And we get so seduced into the story and the feelings that we may not notice how that just clutching to whatever it was with with the second monk, maybe the idea that's the wrong thing to do and I'm right. We don't even see the Sakaya Ditti, the sense of creation of a personality view of a sense of self in that. We can think we're quite mindful but be more involved in the specifics. Have you noticed that your mind ever does that? Ever noticed? I give another very simple example. I had it in my notes, I'd forgotten it, but it's just a good little example of how our mind does this all the time. When not investigated, See, that's the thing, our investigation tends to snap shut and go, oh, me again, I'm so fill in the blanks. So I remember I was trying to do some, some little, fix some little thing in my house. I'm not that dexterous with eye-hand coordination. It Took me 50 years to figure that out, but I'm not. So I, don't know, I was just trying to put up the shower curtain or something, and it was just taking me a while. I'd just get it, it would slip, I'd just get it, it would slip, and I was getting a little frustrated. And you know the thought comes in, "Ah, I'm so clumsy." I mean, that's just OK, but, but that sense of me around me, ah, I'm so clumsy. Like what I just said, I'm not, I don't have good eye-hand coordination. And then memories started coming of all the different times in my life when I've been clumsy and not had good, maybe not all of them, but some of them, you know, back to when I was in the uh, remedial gym class in the fifth grade, you know, and that's really going to set, you know, so that's true, I was. So that kind of, you know, set a whole tone for my life. That's who I am. The clumsy person who was in remedial gym class, (laughs) scarred for life about that. Very, and I saw this happen. I saw how that happened. That took like a second, right? Wow, that's Sakaya Ditti, sense of self, so strong. The clinging to um, the aversion to not doing it, to the thought of this is who I am. And then what selective perception, the memories come that fit that perception, right? Every moment of my life have I been clumsy? Probably not. Have there been other things that had nothing to do with that going on in my life? Yeah, once or twice. But those memories come, it solidifies, and we tell ourselves the story of who we are, and this is Sakaya Ditti, it's broader than just a little oomph of self, the story of who we are, based on grasping at a particular perception a particular sense door experience, and then all the stories going about it. You get a sense of that. Often, that's the place investigation stops. Oh, yes, really caught in this, the sense of me. It's like awareness snaps shut. Or even if we're being mindful. And we are being mindful. We could be mindful, like I could have been mindful of the specifics of the sensations in my hand and the tightness when the thing would drop and the pressure in my mind and the aversion going on and the images coming up. I could be mindful but still fascinated by all the objects and not quite turn around and notice that sense of grasping at me in all of those. Memory is me. Clumsiness is me. This thought of my life history is me. And then if you start thinking, but it is me. Who else had that? That's thinking. That's just another. You're just talking moment to moment experience. You can think we're mindful, but not see the bigger background grasping that's coloring the perception at that moment, which is the Sakaya Ditti, sense of me. But we can just keep on looking. This isn't about hating it or getting rid of it. As I said, it's about, OK, we notice, oh, a kaya ditti here right now. Instead of saying, that's who I am, a hopeless, clumsy, that's it. See how that's constructed and arising in that moment and how it passes. Yes, a new one comes, often pretty quickly. But keep on looking. Keep on staying with the steadiness of mindfulness, of awareness, even if the thought comes up, oh, it's hopeless, just another thought, because the magic show starts to unravel. And it all starts with perception. The whole um, the nature of insight, as I think we've said, an insight isn't like getting to some new place. It's a shift of perception where the perception is no longer colored by confusion, by greed, by wanting, by limitation, where the perception is like more accurate. And then the way we think about it and the way we act is more appropriate. So there's a story of that that um, I've used before because it's so perfect. But really to see how perception leads to how we think about ourselves in the world and how we think about it then leads to the, the view, the description, and this would be personality view, really quick, in a moment. If we can watch that over and over, without identifying, without getting all upset because it keeps happening, just watch how it happens over and over, the seduction of the magic show starts to fall away. It can be fascinating to watch, but more on the level of "Oh, that's how you do it. That's how it's put together," rather than the, "Oh, I don't know how this happened, but here I am again." So this this little story, my good friend in Switzerland, told me um, many years ago. She was sitting a retreat, one of her first retreats in. Uh, not in a retreat center, as before there was one in Switzerland, but the people putting on the retreat would rent a house. So, like we used to do here back, this was probably in the 70s or early 80s. And they have many oh, like big old houses in Switzerland that they use for, for kids in the summer. I don't know what you call them, like summer camps. We would think they'd be a big scout house or something. And they're big, but they're not really insulated, they're old, they're made out of wood. They're very noisy and creaky. You think it's creaky on the floor here. You know, forget about it. So this old, creaky house. And uh, it was a 10-day retreat, very you know strict schedule like here. And the room they were using for the meditation hall was upstairs, and the room for the walking was down below on the ground floor, just like this. But not all the insulation in between. So it was a sitting period, and she was sitting and just starting to get, you know, just getting a little something going with her breath, you know, finally, oh, finally, a little, a little bit of concentration, finally. And then she heard uh, someone walking downstairs, and she could hear because the creaks are so loud, you know, it was like, like, like I said about the radiators the other night, like gunshots going off, you know. God, it's completely ruining my concentration. And she got started just getting more and more annoyed. I don't know if any of you can relate, but she started to get more and more annoyed and then see it was fed by, but this is a sitting period. People shouldn't be walking in the sitting period. This is it was only a short 10-day retreat and nothing personal, but it was Switzerland. So this is the sitting period. This is when you sit. And in the walking period, it's when you walk. It's very orderly. There's something very nice about it. You know what you're supposed to do at the time you're supposed to do it. And people actually do that. (laughs) You Americans might like to know people actually do that. It's very refreshing. (laughs) I like it. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway, so there's this creaking, and she's driving her crazy, and her her mind is, oh, Oh, what's the matter with these people? And And it was just getting more and more blown up. And finally, she said, "Okay, getting out of control. Let me just come back to the breath. So she just tried to come back to the breath, really just feeling the breath coming in and going out. And then her, she realized her, her attention came back to her body. And she realized she was sitting leaning against the wall. And every time she breathed in and her abdomen expanded and her back hit the wall, she was making that noise. That's the noise that she was hearing. So. That's a perfect example of perception, inaccurate, leaping to conclusions, unpleasant. And the whole story of her, you know, this is what's supposed to be, and it's ruining my concentration, and on and on in the anger. That's the whole story of me. And you see how when the perception's accurate, that whole story went away, just gone. But what maybe we don't notice when that happens is how quick the next story starts. And we don't notice that it's two completely different sankaras, two completely different formations. So I can imagine, she didn't say this, but knowing her, I can imagine the immediate next story would be oh, how could I have been so angry and thinking that? I'm so rigid, I'm so uptight, right? Why can't I relax? You know, can you imagine it going off on a whole new one? Somehow Somehow that's what's called papancha, right? Take the grasp, the perception, and run, basically. But somehow the mind just really seems to love doing that. Have you noticed? Most of the papancha is the creation of sakaya ditti. Notice that. Not just one sakaya ditti, many. And if I say that and you think, oh, God, yes, it's true. What's wrong with me? Huh? Same thing. <laughs> Same thing. But we, what I'm saying is we don't have to get rid of that. This isn't about needing to get rid of it. It's like, let's just understand how it's working. When there's accurate recognition, the fascination goes out by itself. When my friend recognized that the sound was coming from her breathing. She really couldn't work up anger at the unknown person walking anymore. You just really can't do it. It doesn't make any sense. So like in that moment when I saw that whole Sakaya ditti about how clumsy in the third grade or whatever and all of that, it's just kind of, oh, OK, fine. There's nothing to do about it. And the next moment, it's gone, and you're into a new one. It's nothing. <laughs> we have to fight. We can explore how it happens. So part of the exploration on this level of thought is just to to notice that. Really make it fun. Make it interesting. It's not something to hate. You know when we're oh no, I don't want to see sense of self again when we feel so, you know, victimized by it. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, that's a big, pretty big that's just fear. This victim is like, we're never going to see. That's when awareness snaps shut. As Upandita said, I've said it before, with awareness, we don't need to be afraid of anything. I love it when I see a sense of self. I may not love the story that it's telling, but when I see, oh, that's Sakaya Ditti. Sakaya Ditti's like this, to quote Ajahn Semedo. It's great. Sometimes we can see it really small and specific, like I just took it through with my friend. Sometime it's all spinning and you, oh, I'm back in clumsy remedial gym class, Sakaya Ditti. Didn't quite see how I got there, but I can feel, oh, Sakaya Ditti's like this. Feel it, notice it, oh, the phone rings, you're into something new. I'm not saying there's only one one Sakaya Ditti, the next, the next, and no gaps in between. Otherwise, it would be hopeless, but I'll get to that in a minute. So first... Just discovering, like as Ajahn Samedo says, you know, we create our sense of self with our thoughts over and over all day long. And he says, and we can't with our thoughts create a peaceful self. So, of course, when we're kind of locked in that sense of self, Sakaya Ditti, it's a little bit, even when it's a, a happy one, it's still a little bit or a lot unsettling. Because it's really like a a square peg in a round hole, it's not really quite fitting with reality. And even the good ones, it's just some idea that's going to go. But we don't have to be afraid. Just watch how it happens. Watch how, and don't believe me, look and see, how any sense contact, contact, and we can be calm, present, awake, and. any sense contact, there can suddenly be a sense of grasping and suddenly it's triggered into the story of me. It could be anything. The most neutral, mundane thing or something really awful, it really doesn't matter what. It's so fun. It's really fun to just explore. It's like looking at a puzzle. You know, how did this one get started? How did this, don't make yourself crazy with it, but you know, how did this one get started? And notice when it stops, you know? Notice how I'm the sad person, I'm the lonely person, all the things are coming up, all the memories, you feel it, you're exploring it in your body. Again, like I say, we can be being quite mindful, but without quite noticing what's the attitude in the mind or what's the belief that's the sense of self that's feeding it. I am the lonely person. It's always been like this. Here I am. Who but a lonely neurotic misfit would come on a three-month retreat when you don't know, <laughs> talk to people? Who else is here? Maybe everyone else is an erotic misfit too. So then maybe we're not misfits because we're all here together. But I don't want to just be like everyone else, you know. I really want to be special. That's why I'm, you know, on and on and on. And then at the end of the day, you think, well, it's been like that all day. Stop a minute and see. You stopped being the neurotic misfit, maybe, when you heard the lunch bell. You became the hungry person, <laughs> pretending not to be hungry. You became the person wanting to be at the head of the line, but going to the end of the line so as no one else can tell how greedy I am, as if anyone else cares, because they're all doing their own number, but and we don't notice that. Then there's a time when you're just the person just standing there. You're not even a person. There's just hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting. You walk, you sit down and go, ah, oh, I'm the person so embarrassed to have all these people around me while I'm eating. I'm just an erotic misfit. Yes, you know, Because I am an erotic misfit, and that's what I've been all day. And not noticing all the other ones. They don't count. I and mean, it doesn't have to be neurotic misfit, it could be that you're, the, you know, the Maitreya Buddha in hiding and you're almost there because you're having good sittings, so that's the next day, right? <laughs> have you noticed it goes Maitreya Buddha one day and neurotic misfit the next day and then it kind of goes back and forth? That's how these things work, that's how the retreat works, that's normal. <laughs> so notice all of it. I'm making them funny on purpose, they're not all funny. Sometimes it's really painful. I'm not belittling the pain. We can bring our tender awareness to all of it. The beauty, the pain, the boring, the neutral. But just noticing this magic show as it's going on. We don't need to land as me in any of it. And when we do land, we can see that It's just another arising appearance. As Ajahn Buddhadasa wrote in his his book, um, Heartwood of the Bodhi Tree, which is a great book on um, anatta and sense of self and exploring. He says, you know, the sense of self is merely a condition that arises when there's grasping or clinging in the mind. That's all. It arises when there's clinging. It goes into all this story that creates a personality view. And when the clinging goes, the whole thing's gone. A new one comes, but they're different. Each one is arising. Each one is passing. Sense of self is not a steady, unchanging thing. Comes and goes, comes and goes. If we stay steady with our interest, with our mindfulness, we can't help but see that sometimes. And that gets even more interesting. So this habit of papancha, of, as the Buddha described it, what, what one perceives, one feels. Perception and vedna come right together. What one feels, one thinks about. What one thinks about, one complicates with perceptions, associations that then assail, which means attack a person, right? Like the story of the monk who, who drew a tiger on the wall of his cave and it was so realistic it scared him. That's what's going on with the this kind of Concocting is this great word. Concocting means kind of putting stuff together. If English isn't your first language, it's maybe not a word you'd, you'd uh, hear that much. It means creating, putting together, uh, manufacturing. But it, in, to me, in English, concocting has a little bit of the sense of you're really just kind of making it up. You're just kind of imagining putting it together. Let me concoct some kind of a stew from all these ingredients that happen to be in the refrigerator. You know, kind of like a little bit haphazard kind of a thing. So it isn't even that the thinking or the papancha is even the problem when we can be aware of it. It only becomes a problem. We get lost in it. It's when we're not recognizing the whole process and we take the content to be the reality, right? Take the content to be true. But when we can just notice the whole process and see how it works, we don't have to land in any of the content as being true. Even my memories, even, yes, but that did happen. That's just a story right now. I got this really clearly one time when I was on a long retreat. And I was watching, I was watching a lot this, you know, this put different stories of Carol, and now Carol's doing this, and now Carol's doing this, and yada, yada. And do you have that where you're like narrating, now I'm getting up, now I'm taking a step. now I'm serving the soup, now I'm in wantia. And, uh, but watching the whole thing. But I had, I had, I don't know if it was a mistake, but just before the retreat I had seen a movie, um, it was The Fugitive. I don't know if you remember, it's a very kind of a thriller movie with Harrison Ford, a lot of action. And... So if any of you have had the experience of having to relive over and over, like James with his song, but having to relive over and over a movie that you saw or some TV show or something that you saw. But I would be sitting, the carol thing would go, and then the fugitive would start, and the memories and the emotions would come, and it would go, and then, uh, then I'd stop and go back. I think I was even doing meta at the time. And then all the carol stuff would start. And after a while I realized both processes were exactly the same. Sometimes the image of Harrison Ford came up and the story went off in that direction. Sometimes the image of Carol or whatever came up and the story went off in that direction. It was exactly the same process. One of them wasn't more real than the other. Fugitive a little more interesting. But <laughs> one wasn't like me, you know. It was both just perceptions and feelings and thoughts and emotions coming and going, coming and going. Try that next time, noticing the Sakaya Ditti. Don't have to give it a movie review, but just kind of watch it like that and see what that's like. So the sense of self, merely a condition that arises when there's grasping and clinging in the mind As such, a sankara is just another arising phenomenon that arises in awareness, that awareness can be with, that awareness can see, dissipate, just like anything. It's not something to get rid of. It's just to watch it come and go. So what? It comes, just like craving. You don't need to be afraid of craving. We see it come. We see how it acts. We experience the suffering, and it goes. Same. Just exactly the same. Ajahn uh, Buddhadasa again talks about it in terms of the dependent origination, which guy spoke about the other night. Again, he's so down to earth, Buddhadasa, in the way that he would talk about things. So in the same in the same section of the Dependent Origination Guide talked about where contact, you know the sense perception, leads to vedna, to feeling tone, which leads to tanha, to craving or not wanting, which leads to grasping at something. So Buddha Dasa, in terms of talking about this sense of self, he describes this place where the, where the craving, just the subtle leaning forward, moves to grasping. He describes the grasping as the feeling of I and mine. And he calls it, I love this in Pali, well, in English, it translates as I-ing and my-ing, because it's a verb. I isn't a thing. It's simply an arising experience, yata buta, due to conditions in this moment, I-ing and my-ing, ahankara and mamankara in Pali. I just like that. You don't need to remember it, but I just like it. So... The grasping is the feeling of I and mind, the formation, the coming together in that moment of Iing and Mying. And it gives rise, the next, the next step is bava, having and being. So Iing and mying, having and being, having these thoughts, being this person. It's a little more solidified in the view, in the mind at that point. And then having and being what? Then becomes birth. Jati, that's the next step, birth, the birth of me in that moment. Now, this can be a really, really simple thing. Again, I had this written down from another retreat, this incredibly simple. Just walking through the dining room as a yogi, because we notice these things more, and there's a bowl of candy out, not not a, um, a precept Little hard sugar candy, but some like nice thing, I don't know. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Something more tempting to me, anyway. And and there's this bowl of candy, and I'm just, but walking just present, relaxed, no, pretty mindful, and no big thing going on, no big sense of me. And there's the seeing of the candy, the pleasant feeling, the arising of wanting, and, and right away, the sense of I wanting the candy. And right then, you can feel the birth of self. That's me, and that's the candy, and I want it. And the hand goes towards it and starts to pick it up. It doesn't matter whether you take it or not. But I remember this particular time, I was like, oh, just put it down. And walked on, the candy was out of sight. The whole sense of birth, that was the death of that self right then. Didn't carry the wanting the candy with me, just gone. you know. And then you walk on into the Catskills, and that's gone. That's over. Birth and death of self, just in a flash like that. There's nothing to be scared of and nothing to worry about, but we can explore it like that. See how it comes. See what keeps it going. What makes it last longer? How it gets put down. Really, when the craving is released, that there's that death of that sense of self at that moment. But just explore it. Don't hold the sense you've got to get rid of it. And in terms of, okay, I described that a little bit specifically, like noticing the perception, noticing the Vedana, noticing the wanting. As I said before, it's sometimes a lot faster than that. All of a sudden, we're in me and Sakaya Ditti and the whole story. We didn't get to notice all these little subtle quick things happening, right? I grabbed the candy, or I didn't, either one. And I walk on, okay, I didn't take the candy, but I walk on going, ah! I wish I'd taken it, and I should have taken it. Maybe I'll go back when no one's looking and I will take it. Or I didn't take it and I'll go back when they are looking so I can just be humble and let people see me take it. You know, whatever it is. The sense of self growing and growing and growing because the craving is growing and growing and growing. But it's not that means that that's hopeless. It's just that sometimes it goes really fast. I read from Ajahn Chah once describing that whole chain of dependent origination. You know, we give all these 12 links like you just did. But it happens really fast. He said, it's like, it happens so fast it's like falling out of a tree. He said, if you fall out of a tree and you go down and on the way down you hit all 12 branches, but it's just like, whoop, boom, and there you are. You land in dukkha. You didn't really have time to notice each branch on the way down, but you land in dukkha, the 12 steps of dependent origination. So sometimes it's like that. I'm back in my room just dying because I either did or didn't take the candy. No way to win either way. You know, okay, this is Sakaya Ditti. Sakaya Ditti is like this. Remember, some of those things, it's just like this. Awareness is always available. It's not like, oh, here I am in Sakaya Ditti and I didn't notice where the Papancha started or the Vedana. It's hopeless. How did I get? Oh, hopeless Sakaya Ditti. It's like this. And just feel it. Big picture. That's fine. That's a movement from the landing in the story and believing it to seeing. oh, that's the process. I don't see all the little ways the magic show's working, but I do see that it's a magic show. This is this particular moment of Sakaya Ditti, a shift from identifying to recognizing the concocting. And the more the magic show is seen through, the less fascinating it becomes. And I bet that's true now for all of you. Have you gotten a little bit tired of your stories yet? (laughs) A little bit, huh? Now, if we cannot move into aversion with that, but that sense of nibbida, that sense of disenchantment. So here comes this story of, I'm so greedy, I'm so, oh yeah, here comes that story, I see how that started, okay, let it just poop out. I need to get involved. Disenchantment. Here comes this story about the next Maitreya Buddha because I you know, was able to stay mindful for two steps. Isn't that real? Yeah, that's fine, Sakaya ditti. It'll just poop out by itself. You don't have to do anything about it. Just watch it. It loses its fascination. And then we start to notice what Buddha Dasa again talks about in this book, shunyata or emptiness, which he's specifically using to mean emptiness of self or voidness is how the translation was. That's kind of, I don't know, it doesn't really roll off the tongue, but emptiness of sense of self. And he says over and over that emptiness of self Emptiness of sense of self, moments when there's not eyeing and mying, when there's not Sakaya Ditti being created and held to. These are really normal and natural. That there are many, many, many moments every day that are empty of the clinging of sense of self, that are not Sakaya Ditti created. Many moments where there's just the simplicity of non-clinging. We've talked about that before. The simplicity of not-self. When we're not caught up and fascinated by the relationship to what's arising and what does it mean about me, when we're not in clinging. And so he talks about it's really important for us to generate a contentment with this emptiness. Generate First, recognizing that it's really normal and natural, Again, just little moments all through the day. If you're waiting for the big bang, forget about it. Notice these little moments, sort of when Guy was talking about, what did he call it, the sweet spot or something. But not even a spot. Just moments that's empty of the clinging of self, of any story that we're clinging to of Sakaya Ditti. There can be thoughts, but there's not the belief, the personality belief. And so we can recognize this and generate a contentment. And that's really important because it may not be as fulfilling as we might think it's going to be. In a moment when there's no self, guess what? There's no one there to feel fulfilled. There's just nothing special. And so noticing that, just as the, the sense of self arises and passes many, many times in a day, birth and death of self hundreds of times, notice in between the birth and death. Notice this, the silence of the mind in a moment that's not concocting, that's not fabricating, that's not having to go out and get involved in whatever's happening. There's a great Pali word for this. Atamayata, again from Buddha Dasa. He said toward the end of his life, apparently, he talked about this a lot. He said, Atamayata is the ultimate Buddhist concept. I mean, that was just Buddha Dasa talking. But what it really means is non-fabricating, the mind that's non-fabricating, the mind that's, again, non-concocting. That's just not making something out of anything. As it 's described um, Amaro talks about it a lot in this book "The Island he's trying to describe it it's really uh, it 's pointing to moments of chitta, moments when the heart or mind is independent, when it 's not affected by wanting, by aversion, by delusion it's not Nibbana, but it's As we've talked about, the pure heart and mind that's not affected by greed, hatred, and delusion, quality of mindfulness, is what allows clear seeing to arise. But just the experience of this atamayata, the times when you're awake and the mind just isn't involved in making some big deal about anything, you know? There can be thinking or not thinking. But there's not that clinging. It's not concocting. The silence of the non-reactive mind is a way you could put it. When there's, uh, this is Amaro, when there's insufficient mindfulness and wisdom, the mind goes out and attaches itself to stuff right. The bowl of candy, the unpleasant sensation, whatever it is. It attaches to perceptions, attaches to moods. Then there's the whole the whole thing of Papancha, the whole creation of Sakaya Ditti. But, when there's this non concocting, these moments of emptiness that um, Buddha Dasa is talking about, a contentment with them, to just appreciate when seeing, we're just seeing, when hearing, just hearing, then this whole papancha is not created and the heart rests at ease. And this is one way the Buddha describes himself. I like this a lot, one of the Buddha's descriptions of how his mind is. Thus Bhikkhus, the Tathagata, meaning himself, does not conceive, or does not think of, a visible thing separate from sight. You know what that means? They're seeing, but he doesn't think about some visible thing, me seeing it. There's just seeing. He does not conceive of something not seen. He does not conceive of a thing to be seen. He does not conceive about a seer, about someone who's seeing. You get a sense of that? It's back in the scene, there's just the scene. The mind just doesn't concoct anything else. It's just seeing. So if I'm sitting here, there's seeing, and I think I'm seeing you, that's a concoction. I think, well, I wonder what's outside that I could see. That's a concoction. Something about me, something about you, concoction. Just seeing, with nothing extra. And then he goes through all the different seeing, hearing, thinking, feeling. Thus bhikkhus, the tathāgata, is just like this, such-like, in regard to all phenomena, seen, heard, sensed, and cognized. Whatever seen, heard, sensed, or clung to is known as truth by other folk. Amidst those who are entrenched, who are stuck in views, but I hold none as true or false. So you get a sense of whatever is seen, heard, sensed, or clung to, the ordinary person holds that as truth. And he's saying, I don't cling to any view at all. There's no need to make up a view about anything. Anything. Can we stay in that? That simplicity, just this. It says such like. The the Tathagata is such like. It's just this. The silence of the non-reactive mind, whatever's arising, there's a a nice reformulation of the four of the four um, noble truths by Thayaj and Ajahn, Ajahn Dun along these lines. He says the mind that goes out to whatever's arising, in order to satisfy its moods, is the cause of suffering. You get a sense of that? It goes out to whatever's happening. I need that candy to satisfy my mood, the cause of suffering. The result that comes from the mind going out in order to satisfy its moods is suffering, the first noble truth. So whether I took that candy or I didn't take the candy, all the hoo-ha that was going on, that's the first noble truth. The mind, seeing the mind clearly is the path leading to the cessation of suffering. That's what we're doing here. The mind seeing the mind clearly. The result of the mind seeing the mind clearly is the cessation of suffering. I love that, because that's really our job, not to get rid of something, not to give ourselves a new Sakaya ditti, not to change our personality, but to see the mind clearly, to see how it works, to really begin to recognize these moments of simplicity, the silence of the non-reactive mind, these moments of shunyata, of self. Just recognize clearly. You know, the, you know those times. We've talked about them a lot, when there's no clinging, when there's, you're not even thinking about it. You're just sitting here, and it's just, just peace. I'm not talking about some big cessation moment. Just no concocting, nothing extra. And you'd say later, a friend of mine calls it the place of no problem. You know, lady, girl, everything was fine. And it didn't matter what was happening. Whether you're drinking tea or walking outside or feeling your breath or there's an ache in the back, it doesn't matter. And I know you all know those moments. And you go, it didn't matter, but now it does. Why? And that, of course, is one of the big mysteries. So generating a contentment with emptiness... Really letting it in. But then the question, of course, we only have four minutes. The question is, why do we keep getting tricked back into Sakaya Ditti? does it feel like that sometimes? It's so peaceful. You think there could never be a problem again. Have you had that feeling? I'm never going to believe that again. I see through it so clearly. How do we get tricked again? So I'll just leave two ideas. One is something Samedo said once that I found so interesting, Ajahn Samedo. He was talking to a group of Vipassana teachers. We were just having a discussion. And he was saying, in his opinion, in his opinion, in having been teaching for 30-some-odd years, both a lot of Thai people and a lot of Westerners, his opinion, he said, the biggest hindrance for Western meditators that he sees is our self-doubt self-doubt in regards to we don't, Westerners tend not to trust our insights into awareness. We tend not to trust our insights into the potential liberation of awareness. Not that we don't have them, but we don't trust them. And he says, again, his opinion why we don't trust them, partly because In in this culture, our personalities are so strong and our belief, our reliance, our taking refuge in our personalities is so strong. That's what we believe. When you're spinning, oh, I'm like this and I'm like that and I can never change it. This is my personality and how can I change it? It was just this moment of real peace and emptiness, but now again I'm caught because really it's hopeless for me, isn't it? with this personality and what I've been through. And that's what we really believe. And I just think that's a fascinating idea to just drop in and look at. The personality is so much our reference point that we, it's just so comfortable we get caught back into it again. Just notice when that's happening. And just that shift, oh, personality views like this. That's a huge shift. In that moment, that's an unhooking from the total belief and refuge in I am this personality, eyeing and mying, to just awareness noticing, coming and going, different personality all the time. Impermanence is also very important. When he was asked, the Buddha, how should one know, how should one see for identity view to be abandoned, he said, it's impermanence. When one sees the eye as impermanent, the view of self is abandoned. Identity view is abandoned. When one sees forms, eye consciousness, eye contact, and feeling, fe- whatever feeling arises with eye contact, as impermanent, identity view is abandoned. And with all the senses, of course. So again, it's the steadiness of awareness, of mindfulness, that allows the perception of impermanence to be recognized, coming and going all the time. Steady awareness can't help but notice it. So noticing impermanence, the perception of impermanence, generating a contentment with this emptiness, with this voidness, and noticing. When there's not the contentment with voidness, when that sense of the personality view, the sense of me, you see that death of it. And there's just a moment where there's not a new arising of me happening. Just notice that. Or do you notice in that there's like a dulling out, a kind of just zone out until some new thing comes and grabs the attention, often a clinging or an aversion? Or sometimes there's actually. It's neutral, but we're quite awake, but there's a feeling of a little bit of disquiet, a little bit of discomfort, almost like we're waiting for the next thing to happen. And we think we want, and that's our problem, of course, but we think we want the experience of recognizing the death of self, the moments of peace, emptiness when there's no identity view being clung to, but often that's uncomfortable. We're so, again, that sense of me, even when it's a suffering me. For many people, I notice in myself, it's like there's a kind of the comfort of familiarity. You know, like putting on an old bathrobe that's so old and comfortable, even though it's all ratty and a little bit dirty, but you just feel soothed. So, have you noticed your mind going back to cling even to a suffering Sakaya Ditti? But it goes away and you go, but what about my loneliness? Let's go back to that one, because otherwise, what? There's nothing happening. It's a little, little, not even scary, but just a little unfamiliar. You know, we don't like, the mind wants security. It likes familiarity. You know, we want to go back to what we know. That's why we like to have views about what the doctrine is and hold to it, rather than just this willingness to open into the unknown in this moment, without a place to land, without a view to hold to, without a sense of self to say, this is who I am. So notice those moments of voidness. Notice in between experience. Maybe thoughts end and a new thought hasn't arisen. Just stay awake there. Notice if you jump to the breath, or you jump to the body, so God forbid there should be a space. Notice between activities. You know you're finished eating. Just sit and be quiet. You have to jump up and go do the next thing. You have to note, 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 note. Nothing's nothing's happening. No, what am I going to note? What's going to... Something. Just incline the mind to nothing special, to emptiness, to voidness. Give it a chance to recognize... The empty nature of awareness, nowhere to go, nothing to do, nothing to have. You don't create anything. I don't create anything. We're not getting rid of some sense of some self in order to be no self. We're just noticing how the magic show works. And when we see through it, we don't have to suffer from it anymore. It doesn't have to keep tricking us. I'll just end with this from Ajahn Samedo. It's often said that the Buddhist way is not to grasp. But that can become just another statement that we grasp and hold on to. It's a catch-22. No matter how hard you try to make sense out of it, you end up in total confusion because of the limitation of language and perception. We have to go beyond language and perception. And the only way to go beyond thinking and emotional habit is through awareness of them, through awareness of thought, through awareness of emotion. The island that you cannot go beyond, the name of this book, The Island, the metaphor for nibbana is the metaphor for this state of being awake and aware, as opposed to the concept of becoming awake and aware. So let's just quietly be awake and aware for a moment.